a light of the living among the dead. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Please take a seat. We're going to uh, continue um, our series working through the book of Acts at the moment, and uh, we're in Acts chapter 3. I'm going to read from verse 1. I'm not sure what page it's on in the Pew Bibles. It's on a page in the Pew Bibles, I know that. Acts chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. 1094, there you go. One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at 3 in the afternoon. Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, 
Men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we've made this man walk? The God of Abraham, of Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed. You disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the Holy and Righteous One and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him, as you can all now see. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Lee. Let's just take a moment to still ourselves before God. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. I pray that you will be in my words and in our hearts and minds. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm sure that all of us like surprises, good ones at any rate. I know that I do. Claire always seems to like it when I come up with surprises that are perhaps flower-centred or chocolate-shaped, very strangely. And I have a very strong memory of a particular surprise when I was, uh, when I was very young. Um, wasn't actually a, a, a surprise for me as such, um, but I was a witness to it. Um, one Christmas, my sister Fiona, um, she received a very, very strangely shaped parcel from my uncle, from our uncle, and none of us could tell what this thing was. And we squished it and squeezed it, as perhaps you like to do, I know I like to do with, with parcels like that. And at that moment, the wrapping paper burst open and the rather large and long and pointy nose of Orinoco the Wumble pointed out of the wrapping paper. What a great surprise that was. I remember my sister um, was thrilled with her present. What a great surprise. But perhaps on some occasions, we shouldn't be surprised. What happens... um, if we thought about it a bit, um, actually shouldn't be a surprise to us at all. Maybe the early elimination of an England football team from the latest World Cup finals. Or perhaps um, the fact that the EastEnders closing... Hello. (laughs) Hello, Ben. Hello. Oh, bless you. (laughs) Hi. Yes. Well, surprises, yes. Um, (laughs) um, Or the the fact that um, the EastEnders' closing credits have yet again left us with a plot cliffhanger. 
Today's passage of the beggar's healing clearly gives us a very different and rather more profound scenario from both of these two situations. But I think that the same question is equally valid, and it's the one that Peter asks of the crowd. Why does this surprise you? Why does this surprise you? He asks the people gathered as they see the beggar who'd only moments before and right from the beginning of his life, that beggar jump and praise God for his healed legs. Why do you marvel at this as the uh, NRSV translation of the Bible has? Why are you surprised? Before the crowd can respond, Peter supplies the answer to his own question. Um, And the way in which he gives the the first part of his answer would perhaps have had um, a greater resonance to his Jewish audience at the time than it does to us. Um, Because he quotes directly from one of the key passages in the story of the nation of Israel. From the start of the story of Moses in Exodus chapter 3. For those of you who uh, took part in our recent uh, Thy Kingdom Come 10 Days of Prayer, you may recall that in the Lady Chapel we had um, a fire representing the burning bush and that surrounding that fire was holy ground. We were asked to take off our shoes just as Moses took off his shoes. And when God speaks to Moses in that incident, when he speaks from within the heart of the burning bush, he declares to him, I am the God of Abraham, of Isaac and of Jacob. So when Peter says this to the temple crowd in exactly the same phrase that God uses to speak to Moses from the burning bush, when Peter says, what has happened in the person of Jesus, that God glorified him, Peter is declaring in incredibly clear language, unequivocal language as far as his audience would have been concerned, that the spirit and the power of God, as witnessed by Moses in the burning bush, was present in the figure of Jesus Christ. And Peter goes on in verse 16 by his own faith and the faith of John in Jesus' name, and not by their own power or their own godliness, as he explains. That's how the crippled beggar is healed. Through God's power, present in the name of Jesus, the beggar is brought to wholeness. So it shouldn't be any surprise to the crowd that by speaking aloud the name of Jesus over the beggar in this way, in the power of their faith in Christ, Peter and John release into this situation exactly the same power of the presence of God that was present in the burning bush and that was present in the person of Jesus as well. It shouldn't be a surprise to them 
because this sort of healing and of restoration and of transformation that the beggar experiences is exactly what Jesus did. We've got multiple examples in the Gospels of the healings and miracles that Jesus performed. The centurion's servant, Jairus' daughter, Bartimaeus, cured of his blindness, Lazarus raised from the dead. And this is what Jesus said to those who followed him, that they would be able to do the same in his name. In Matthew chapter 10, which was the gospel reading in our earlier service this morning, in the first verse of that chapter we read, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and illness. And continuing in verse 7 of that chapter, Christ instructs his disciples, as you go, proclaim this message, the kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal those who are ill, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. This is what Jesus charged those who follow him both then in the first century to the disciples, to the apostles and what he charges us with today. The whole area of healing is both to Christians and non-Christians pretty complex and at times difficult, I think. And um, to be quite honest, we could probably have an entire sermon series on this area of our faith, Um, but I'm not going to launch into that today. Maybe Lee has plans for later in the year, I don't know. Um, But I I believe it's important to say something about healing, given that it is central to this story. I believe that if you say you are a Christian, if you believe in a God who raised his son Jesus Christ from the dead, then you're acknowledging the possibility of miracles, including miracles of healing, like the one in today's passage. Not just by Jesus, or by his disciples, or the apostles, but today as well. There is nothing in the Bible that says that the power to heal stops at any given point. The power to heal in Jesus' name continues. And if you believe in a God who created the laws of the universe, you're acknowledging, I suggest, the possibility of him in and through Jesus being able to suspend those laws and suspend them in order to point to his saving purpose, in order to alleviate suffering and to bring about new creation. Why then does this passage especially matter to us today as well? What's so important about it? Well, as we've been starting to see over the past few weeks in our sermons, um, chiefly from Lee, from me to an extent as well, 
and we'll continue to see over the summer. Part of the function of the book of Acts is, if you like, to be um, an instruction manual for being church. This is part of, of how we, as the women and the men and the children and the teenagers who make up um, the family that is St. Giles, how we should do church. What it's like to be a disciple of Jesus. What it is to be part of a church that collectively lives for and witnesses to Jesus Christ. This encounter between Peter and John and the beggar comes right at the beginning of Acts. It's almost straight after the account of Pentecost. There's only the brief description of the early believers, how they lived together between the story of Pentecost and this story. And I believe that its position within the story of Acts is a demonstration of its significance. Almost immediately after the Holy Spirit comes upon the first believers, we have the power of that same Spirit in action. We have the power of the same Spirit in the physical and spiritual transformation of this man's life as he's healed. How Peter and John interact with the lame beggar is, I believe, a model for the way in which we as individuals and we as church should behave when we encounter someone who we sense needs the love and mercy and healing of Jesus in their lives. Whether that's physically or emotionally or spiritually or a combination of those. And I suggest that there are four things that Peter and John do. First of all, they engage. When they approach, we know from the account that the man isn't giving them his attention. Perhaps he's used to looking down. Perhaps he's used to people walking by. Perhaps he is ashamed of the situation he finds himself in. He resorts to, to what he knows, to asking people for money to, make, to meet his basic physical needs. But Peter and John don't just walk by and perhaps give him a few shekels as well. They command his attention. Look at us, Peter says. They engage fully with him. He lifts up his eyes and looks back at them. They engage fully with him because he, as much as they, as much as us, despite his disability, is made as holy in God's image as any one of us. As holy in God's image as they are. They engage with him face to face. And having established a rapport with him, having caught his attention, Peter speaks. Peter 
declares with certainty but also with humility healing over this beggar. He declares healing in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. It is as though um, through the declaration of the name of Jesus over this man's lameness and through the courageous faith of Peter and John in making this statement of their faith be healed in the name of Jesus. It's because of this precisely that the man is healed. It's not through Peter and John themselves, just as it isn't through us that healing takes place when we pray. There isn't that pressure on us. It's God who, uh, who transforms. It's God who heals. We're called to be courageous. We're called to be faithful in our prayers and in our interactions with others. But ultimately, it's God alone who heals. So Peter and John engage with the beggar. Peter declares over him. He declares the name of Jesus over him. And then they intervene. Peter and John intervene physically. They take the beggar by his right hand and they raise him to his feet. We don't know whether had he, had he not been helped to stand, whether the man would have seen his lameness cured. But what we do know from the account is that when the apostles physically helped the beggar to his feet, as the account tells us, instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. When we engage practically, as well as in word and in prayer, in situations of need, we must, of course, be sensitive to the position of those whom we seek to serve. But it's clear, following in the footsteps of the early church, those steps that we see in Acts, it's clear that we're called, both individually and as a church as a whole, to be the love of God in practice to those who are in need. Over this last few days, of course, um, and although amazing responses have come from those of all faiths and of no faith, it's striking how the role of local churches to those so tragically impacted in the Grenfell Tower fire, how their role has been so prominent, supporting the victims in practical ways as best they possibly can, lovingly and passionately and remarkably, these Christians have intervened. And finally, in this passage, Peter and John testify. When the healed beggar rushes into the temple to celebrate his healing, to jump for joy and uh, and shout in celebration 
at what has happened to him. Peter moves straight away to answer the skeptics' questions. Was this man really healed, they asked. How did that come about? Peter points the onlookers to Jesus and to faith in him as the source for the healing. Indeed, faith is so critical to this that Peter re-emphasizes his point. He says this twice, that it is through his and John's faith that this has come about. There's no power that comes from them themselves, like us today. They were ordinary human beings with no supernatural powers. But it's through allowing the power of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name into their lives and flowing out of them in specific situations such as the one we see in today's passage. Freely you have received, so freely give, Jesus says to his disciples in Matthew. It's through the Spirit working through and in us that we see God's kingdom come. So for those of you who are perhaps good with words, you may have noticed that I have given us a mnemonic. First of all, Peter and John engage. Then they declare. Then they intervene. And finally, they testify. E-D-I-T. Edit. An editor perhaps makes sense of a raw manuscript. They transform um, partly formed materials into completeness. They're responsible for how the final story ends. Like Peter and like John, God, if you like, calls us to be the editors of our lives within his overall sweep of history. We're perhaps his editors too, in that through the extent to which we engage with him, we declare over, we intervene for, and we testify to others throughout our lives. We are responsible for how God's kingdom may be enabled to break into the here and now and restore, and heal, and renew. We should not be surprised when, if we act like Peter and John did, God shows up. If we act as Peter and John did, God shows up in power. It shouldn't be a surprise to us that if we as a church step out in faith in Jesus' name, lives are transformed, broken relationships are mended, and people are healed. Miracles happen. Because this is precisely what Jesus, the same Jesus who rose from the dead in order that God could reconcile himself to the whole of creation, that the whole of creation could return to him in new perfection. It's precisely what Jesus told his disciples was the task. 
and precisely what he told them would happen in his name through them. So my challenge to each one of us this morning, as individuals and collectively as St. Giles, is as we live out our particular lives, our particular roles in the great story of God's people, however large or however small that role may be or we think it may be. My challenge is that we do so like Peter and John as editors of that story, that we engage fully and directly with with those whom we meet, that we declare the love and power of Jesus over them, and into their lives, bringing healing, whether physical, emotional, or spiritual, where there may be brokenness and pain. That we intervene in practical ways that demonstrate to others the good news of Jesus Christ in loving action. And finally, that we testify to those whom we meet about the miraculous power of Jesus Christ and about the power that through the presence of the Holy Spirit dwells in those who believe in him, dwells in us, dwells in those who call on his holy name as the apostles did before us. In Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to join together in worship again. And the first song that we're going to sing is What a Beautiful Name It Is. The Name of Jesus Christ, My King.